Chapters 23 and 24 of The Way of All Flesh. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rhonda Fetterman. The Way of All Flesh by Samuel Butler. Chapter 23. The man-servant William came and set the chairs for the maids, and presently they filed in. First Christina's maid, then the cook, then the housemaid, then William, and then the coachman. I sat opposite them, and watched their faces as Theobald read a chapter from the Bible. They were nice people, but more absolute vacancy I never saw upon the countenances of human beings. Theobald began by reading a few verses from the Old Testament, according to some system of his own. On this occasion the passage came from the fifteenth chapter of Numbers. It had no particular bearing that I could see upon anything which was going on just then, but the spirit which breathed throughout the whole seemed to me to be so like that of Theobald himself, that I could understand better after hearing it how he came to think as he thought, and act as he acted. The verses are as follows. But the soul that doeth aught presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Because he hath despised the word of the Lord, and hath broken his commandments, that soul shall be utterly cut off, his iniquity shall be upon him. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation. And they put him in ward, because it was not declared what should be done to him. And the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp, and stoned him with stones, and he died, as the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue, and it shall be unto you for a fringe that ye may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, and that ye seek not after your own heart and your own eyes, that ye may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. My thoughts wandered while Theobald was reading the above, and reverted to a little matter which I had observed in the course of the afternoon. It happened that some years previously a swarm of bees had taken up their abode in the roof of the house under the slates, and had multiplied so that the drawing-room was a good deal frequented by these bees during the summer, when the windows were open. The drawing-room paper was of a pattern which consisted of bunches of red and white roses, and I saw several bees at different times fly up to these bunches and try them, under the impression that they were real flowers. Having tried one bunch, they tried the next, and the next, and the next, till they reached the one that was nearest the ceiling, 
Then they went down, bunch by bunch, as they had ascended, till they were stopped by the back of the sofa. On this they ascended, bunch by bunch to the ceiling again, and so on, and so on, till I was tired of watching them. As I thought of the family prayers being repeated night and morning, week by week, month by month, and year by year, I could nor help thinking how like it was to the way in which the bees went up the wall and down the wall, bunch by bunch, without ever suspecting that so many of the associated ideas could be present, and yet the main idea be wanting hopelessly and forever. When Theobald had finished reading, we all knelt down, and the Carlo Dolci and the Sassoferrato looked down upon a sea of upturned backs as we buried our faces in our chairs. I noted that Theobald prayed that we might be made truly honest and conscientious in all our dealings, and smiled at the introduction of the truly. Then my thoughts ran back to the bees and I reflected that after all it was perhaps as well at any rate for Theobald, that our prayers were seldom marked by any very encouraging degree of response, for if I had thought there was the slightest chance of my being heard, I should have prayed that someone might ere long treat him as he had treated Ernest. Then my thoughts wandered on to those calculations which people make about waste of time, and how much one can get done if one gives ten minutes a day to it. And I was thinking what improper suggestion I could make in connection with this, and the time spent on family prayers, which should at the same time be just tolerable. When I heard Theobald beginning, The Grace of Our Lord Jesus Christ, and in a few seconds the ceremony was over, and the servants filed out again as they had filed in. As soon as they had left the drawing-room, Christina, who was a little ashamed of the transaction to which I had been a witness, imprudently returned to it, and began to justify it, saying that it had cut her to the heart, and that it cut Theobald to the heart, and a good deal more, but that it was the only thing to be done. I received this as coldly as I decently could, and by my silence during the rest of the evening showed that I disapproved of what I had seen. Next day I was to go back to London, but before I went I said I should like to take some new laid eggs back with me. So Theobald took me to the house of a laborer in the village, who lived a stone's throw from the rectory, as being likely to supply me with them. Ernest, for some reason or other, was allowed to come too. I think the hens had begun to sit, but at any rate eggs were scarce and the cottager's wife could not find me more than seven or eight, which we proceeded to wrap up in separate pieces of paper so that I might take them to town safely. This operation was carried on upon the ground in front of the cottage door, and while we were in the midst of it, the cottager's little boy, a lad much about Ernest's age, trod upon one of the eggs that was wrapped up in paper, and broke it. "'There now, Jack,' said his mother, "'see what you've done. "'You've broken a nice egg and cost me a penny.' "'Here, Emma,' she added, calling her daughter, "'take the child away. "'There's a dear.' 
Emma came at once and walked off with the youngster, taking him out of harm's way. "'Papa,' said Ernest after we had left the house, "'why didn't Mrs. Heaton whip Jack when he trod on the egg?' I was spiteful enough to give Theobald a grim smile, which said as plainly as words could have done that I thought Ernest had hit him rather hard. Theobald colored and looked angry. I dare say, he said quickly, that his mother will whip him now that we are gone. I was not going to have this, and I said I did not believe it. And so the matter dropped but Theobald did not forget it, and my visits to Battersby were henceforth less frequent. On our return to the house we found the postman had arrived and had brought a letter appointing Theobald to a rural deanery which had lately fallen vacant by the death of one of the neighboring clergy who had held the office for many years. The bishop wrote to Theobald most warmly, and assured him that he valued him as among the most hard-working and devoted of his parochial clergy. Christina, of course, was delighted, and gave me to understand that it was only an installment of the much higher dignities, which were in store for Theobald when his merits were more widely known. I did not then foresee how closely my godson's life and mine were in after years to be bound up together. If I had, I should doubtless have looked upon him with different eyes, and noted much to which I had paid no attention at the time. As it was, I was glad to get away from him, for I could do nothing for him, or chose to say that I could not, and the sight of so much suffering was painful to me. A man should not only have his own way as far as possible, but he should only consort with things that are getting their own way, so far as they are at any rate comfortable unless for short times under exceptional circumstances he should not even see things that have been stunted or starved, much less should he eat meat that has been vexed by having been overdriven or underfed or afflicted with any disease, nor should he touch vegetables that have not been well grown. For all these things cross a man, whatever a man comes in contact with, in any way forms a cross with him which will leave him better or worse and the better things he is crossed with, the more likely he is to live long and happily. All things must be crossed a little, or they would cease to live. But holy things, such, for example, as Giovanni Bellini's saints, have been crossed with nothing but what is good of its kind. CHAPTER Twenty Four. The storm which I have described in the previous chapter was a sample of those that occurred daily for many years. No matter how clear the sky, it was always liable to cloud over, now in one quarter, now in another, and the thunder and lightning were upon the young people before they knew where they were. "'And then, you know,' said Ernest to me, when I asked him not long since to give me more of his childish reminiscences for the benefit of my story. We used to learn Mrs. Barbold's hymns. They were in prose, and there was one about the lion which began, Come, and I will show you what is strong. The lion is strong. When he raiseth himself from his lair, when he shaketh his mane, when the voice of his roaring is heard, the cattle of the field fly and the beasts of the desert hide themselves, for he is very terrible. 
I used to say this to Joey and Charlotte about my father himself when I got a little older, but they were always didactic and said it was naughty of me. One great reason why clergymen's households are generally unhappy is because the clergyman is so much at home, or close about the house. The doctor is out visiting patients half his time, the lawyer and the merchant have offices away from home, but the clergyman has no official place of business which shall ensure his being away from home for many hours together at stated times. Our great days were when my father went for a day's shopping to Kildenham. We were some miles from this place, and commissions used to accumulate on my father's list, till he would make a day of it, and go and do the lot. As soon as his back was turned, the air felt lighter. As soon as the hall door opened to let him in again, the law, with its all-reaching touch-not, taste-not, handle-not, was upon us again. The worst of it was that I could never trust Joey and Charlotte. They would go a good way with me, and then turn back, or even the whole way, and then their consciences would compel them to tell Papa and Mama. They liked running with their hair up to a certain point, but their instinct was towards the hounds. It seemed to me, he continued, that the family is a survival of the principle which is more logically embodied in the compound animal, and the compound animal is a form of life which has been found incompatible with high development. I would do with the family among mankind what nature has done with the compound animal, and confine it to the lower and less progressive races. Certainly there is no inherent love for the family system on the part of nature herself. Pull the forms of life and you will find it in a ridiculously small minority. The fishes know it not, and they get along quite nicely. The ants and the bees, who far outnumber man, sting their fathers to death as a matter of course, and are given to the atrocious mutilation of nine-tenths of their offspring committed to their charge. Yet where shall we find communities more universally respected? Take the cuckoo again. Is there any bird which we like better? I saw he was running off from his own reminiscences, and tried to bring him back to them, but it was no use. What a fool, he said. A man is to remember anything that happened more than a week ago unless it was pleasant, or unless he wants to make some use of it. Sensible people get the greater part of their own dying done during their own lifetime. A man at five-and-thirty should no more regret not having had a happier childhood than he should regret not having been born a prince of the blood. He might be happier if he had been more fortunate in childhood, but for aught he knows, if he had, something else might have happened which might have killed him long ago. If I had to be born again, I would be born at Battersby of the same father and mother as before, and I would not alter anything that has ever happened to me. The most amusing incident that I can remember about his childhood was that when he was about seven years old he told me he was going to have a natural child. I asked him his reasons for thinking this, and he explained that Papa and Mama had always told him that nobody had children till they were married. And as long as he had believed this, of course, he had had no idea of having a child till he was grown up. 
but not long since he had been reading Mrs. Markham's History of England, and had come upon the words, John of Gaunt had several natural children. He had therefore asked his governess what a natural child was. Were not all children natural? Oh, my dear, she said, a natural child is a child a person has before he is married. On this it seemed to follow logically that if John of Gaunt had had children before he was married, he, Ernest Pontifex, might have them also, and he would be obliged to me if I would tell him what he had better do under the circumstances. I inquired how long ago he had made this discovery. He said about a fortnight, and he did not know where to look for the child, for it might come at any moment. You know, he said, babies come so suddenly. One goes to bed one night, and next morning there is a baby. Why, it might die of cold if we are not on the lookout for it. I hope it will be a boy. And you have told your governess about this? Yes, but she puts me off and does not help me. She says it will not come for many years, and she hopes not then. Are you quite sure that you have not made any mistake in all this? Oh, no, because Mrs. Byrne, you know, called here a few days ago, and I was sent for to be looked at. And Mamma held me out at arm's length and said, Is he Mr. Pontifex's child, Mrs. Byrne, or is he mine? Of course, she couldn't have said this if Papa had not had some of the children himself. I did think the gentleman had all the boys and the lady all the girls, but it can't be like this, or else Mamma would have not asked Mrs. Byrne to guess. But then Mrs. Byrne said, Oh, he is Mr. Pontifex's child, of course. And I didn't quite know what she meant by saying, of course. It seems as though I was right in thinking that the husband has all the boys and the wife all the girls. I wish you would explain to me all about it. This I could hardly do. So I changed the conversation after reassuring him as best I could. End of chapter 24 Recording by Rhonda Fetterman